0: Obviously, the Jets know something that, you know, the people up here don't. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of turnonthejets.com. I will be joined shortly by my co-host, Dalvin Benasario. But first, we want to give you guys a preview of this week's Play Like a Jet, which is our newest podcast hosted by our writer, Scott Mason. Episode one launched last week. Featured an interview with Rob Carpenter on the Jets' 1992 season. We loved all the feedback we got from it. Uh, and we're going to keep it rolling as a weekly podcast that's going to dive into different moments from Jets' history. So I'm going to throw it to Scott right now. Uh, and he's going to give you a little preview of what's going to be on the way this Friday when we launch.
1: Well, thanks, Joe. And I'm really, really thrilled with the reception that we got for the first episode with Rob Carpenter. Rob was great, and I already spoke to him, and he's agreed to come back. So at some point down the line, he's going to come back and perhaps talk 1993 with us. But this week, the first of a three-part series on the year 2011 with Nicholas Dalidoff, author of the book Collision Low Crossers. And if you haven't read the book, I'm going to explain this to you because you may be thinking to yourself, Scott, you said that this show is about getting a bird's-eye view from the player's perspective or the coach's perspective or the scout's perspective, somebody who was there with the team at the time. Well, you may not find Nicholas Dalidoff's name on any roster sheet from 2011, but what you will find is that he traveled with the team the entire year. He lived basically as an employee of the Jets for that year. He was in on the draft meetings and... He was there for all the games and the practices and watching the film, and he hung around the players and the coaches and the the executives, everything. He lived the life for a year, and he was gracious enough to talk to us this week about his experiences in 2011. So we're going to talk about everything, but this week, part one, we're going to focus on when he first got there all the way up through the end of the draft season. And uh, he's going to talk one of the things he's going to talk about is what the draft prep was like sitting in these cold, lonely basement rooms and just staring at monitors, watching play a tape of player after player, after player, after player, which is what I imagine Jeff Lloyd does when he's preparing for, for the draft and when he's getting ready to, to uh, host draft season. A couple of other things, just as a preview of what you can expect this Friday, uh, which Jets player, And a very well-known one said that he would not want his son playing football, and he would prefer that he plays baseball. And which Jets coach was mocked for wearing hiking boots to work one day? The answers to these questions and more when we go into part one of our deep dive into the 2011 season with Nicholas Dowdoff, author of Collision Low Crossers this Friday at Play Like a Jet. You can follow me on Twitter at play like a jet one to get all the updates on the show. Don't forget to also follow Joe and Dalvin on Twitter as well. And also download us at iTunes and at TurnOnTheJets.com. Just glad to keep this Turn On The Jets digital train rolling. And uh, Joe, looking forward to rolling out another episode on Friday.
0: Absolutely. And I highly, highly recommend, if you haven't read Collision Low Crossers yet, that uh, you go out and grab that book. It is an absolutely terrific, in depth dive into really the beginning of the end of the Rex Ryan era for the Jets. This book was written coming right off the 2010 uh, AFC Championship run. And it is not, it, he did not go into it with that intention. But knowing what happened for the Jets in 2011 and 2012, and then obviously even up through 2014 with Rex, you could begin to see uh, the beginning of the problems with him and how the franchise was. Functioning with him at, at the helm as the uh, head coach, so uh, it's a really interesting read. Uh, gives a really good look at Rex, Mike Pettin, Mike Tannenbaum, uh, and a bunch of other people around the organization. So really looking forward to that, Scott. And uh, we will talk to you next week.
1: Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it, and looking forward to listening to the podcast with you and Dalton, especially knowing what's gone on with uh, with the Jets this week, all the craziness and. Make sure you talk to Dalvin about Beverly Hills 90210. He'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll make Hey, there's no shortage of things to talk about this week, but we'll make sure we throw that out for him. All right, thanks, Joe. All right, and now we are joined by Dalvin with no shortage of things to discuss this week uh, in Jetsland. It has been the busiest news week since the NFL draft. Uh, Yesterday, midday, the New York Jets released David Harris, uh, seemingly came out of nowhere considering he had been practicing with the team, and uh, the Jets had decided to pass on guys like Zach Brown and Gerald Hodges in free agency, and basically had just, yes, they just just acquired DeMario Davis back in a trade, but I think we've all kind of seen DeMario Davis and his ability level, and again, Harris was out there with the starting defense throughout practice, and Todd Bowles went out for his press conference and was clearly blindsided by the move, you could tell from the way he was talking about it. Uh, and then later in the day, he came out that the team would also be releasing Eric Decker if they could not find a way to trade him. Why a team would trade a pick for him when they know the Jets are going to release him anyway uh, is beyond me. But I don't think in a vacuum uh, these moves were a surprise uh, considering what the Jets did with Brandon Marshall, Darrell Rivas, Nick Mangold, uh, Bruno Giacomini, and a few other veterans this offseason. I think the timing of it uh, and the way it was handled is concerning. it shows a lack of coordination and a bit of dysfunction at the top of the organization and again, if you wanted to just do this with Harris, why not you know just release him in march why Why do that to a guy who 's been you know a team leader and will be a ring of honor player here uh, for a decade? you know he was here for a decade the last team the team 's last successful second round pick and again, this is a business it 's not about you know, personal feelings or anything like that. But if you were going to release the guy, release him in March. And it, for me, it, it kind of stinks of the Jets. You could say the Jets, while well, they were always been planning a full tank and a full rebuild, if that was the case, they trade Decker during the draft. Don't tell me there wasn't a team who would, have, would not have given up a sixth or seventh round pick for Eric Decker. Uh, they cut David Harris in March and they don't put on the full court press for Dante Hightower and offer him $11, 12000000 million. They don't put on the full-court press for Tony Jefferson and offer him $8, $9 million. Both of those guys took less money not to play with the Jets. And you certainly don't spend $6 million uh, on Josh McCown to be your quarterback. Just go pay TJ Yates $750,000, pay Chase Daniel $750,000, or just play Christian Hackenberg. Now, maybe Hackenberg is so inept and he's not remotely near ready to play. If that's the case, again, pay Yates $750,000. Why are you paying McCown? Uh, $6 million, but you're not going to pay David Harris or Eric Decker that money. And again, people are saying, well, it's cap space. The cap space will roll over. The Jets could have used this cap space if they would have cut Decker or Harris in February. They would have had more money to play with in free agency. They're not signing anybody of value now, and they were going to move on from Harris and probably Decker after this season anyway. So that money was going to be used next February, whether they Jets cut Harris and Decker two days ago or whether they cut them the day after week 17. So the timing... And thinking behind it it just seems like the jets are kind of careening from random move to random move and kind of pivoting in one direction and something doesn't work out i think there is broad strokes of a hey we recognize we're going to be bad uh next year and we're okay with that but it still is not being executed all that smoothly and the communication and lack of coordination at the top sadly reminds me of the Rex and the uh, Idzik years i mean what are your initial thoughts of these two moves dalvin
2: Um, I mean, I think you, you hit it on the head in terms of like, remember they, they apparently offered Dante Hightower the most money, depending on who you believe. And I know a lot of people were like, well, he would have been part of the rebuild here. And I kind of understand that logic, except for the fact that I don't think you pay premium money to an inside linebacker. That's just going to help the rebuild. I think you would have paid premium money to a guy that would have been able to grow with your team next to Harris, because obviously like they have questions about Deron Lee. I do find it interesting that. They like and again the, the cap space argument was the one that was made when the Jets traded uh, for Demario Davis. They were like, "Oh, look, the Jets get to save some money or whatever." And for me, the cap space is always interesting. Because, the cap space argument is always interesting because who, like, what exactly are you doing with that money right now or next year? Because you've now tor- torn it down to the studs. What free agent, what marquee free agent is going to come here next year? Knowing how you treated David Harris, and again, you mentioned it. David Harris was practicing. He practiced with the starting defense, and then he was cut. Bowles was notified during his press conference or maybe right before. I think that you're going to have a hard time attracting free agents to a team like this where not only are you now showing them that you genuinely don't treat your players well, right, because this has kind of been Woody Johnson's MO, but what – what what player is going to sign on for big money here, knowing that very that it's very likely that Bowles and McCagnon are gone after next season, right? So you're looking at another full full house cleaning, right? Are you are you firing McCagnon and all his scouts? Some of them have already left, right? But are you clearing house again and giving another GM a fresh start? Are you hiring a new coach? It's kind of a joke at this point, to be honest. With Harrison Decker in particular, like Harris is your best linebacker. I had a lot of people tell me, oh no, he's not their best linebacker. Are you kidding me? He is their best linebacker, hands down. He is probably their third best defensive player, hands down. And so you're you're letting go of him now to trot out Daron Lee, who, again, I'm not sold on and is just really, really athletic. And Demario Davis, who we know is bad. And you're now is essentially entrusting this defense to Leo Williams and Jamal Adams. I love Jamal Adams. But I do not think it makes it made any sense in the world, no matter how much money you were going to save, because you were going to have the same amount of cash space anyway, next year. Say so you roll it over because this was Harris's last year. Um, so that kind of, that rubbed me the wrong way telling teams that you're going to cut Decker and stay. If you don't trade, if you don't find a team that's going to, that's going to give you a pick for him is kind of silly to me. Like, mccagnon knows nothing about leverage, and it's frustrating because, and you touched on this in your article today. The Jets have traded. The Jets have given up the chance to have four young guys under their control to go get Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Clady, Davier Posey, and Brandon Marshall, and Zach Stacy. None of them are on the team anymore. So five young guys that you could have acquired that had under your control that would have rebuilt that middle class of this roster are no longer on the team. A lot of people want to say, "Oh, well, the Jets misread the tea leaves." I think that I think that. The, one of the hardest things to do in, in the NFL and in all sports is self-scouting. If anybody in their right mind really believed that Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to duplicate the record-breaking season that he had and that Brandon Marshall wouldn't struggle, I think I think it's kind of atrocious. And these moves are, the, the, it's kind of ridiculous, and these moves are kind of the final nail in that because now you are essentially, you have turned over this entire team. There is nobody left, really, and now it's on McKagan and Bowles to continue to rebuild it, but it's not a good look the way that they handled it.
0: Yeah, I think some people are taking this as a sign that, you know, Woody is guaranteed job security to these guys, and I think words are cheap. You know, we've seen Woody do this in the past where he guaranteed Mancini would keep his job, when it didn't happen. I think we need to see, obviously, how the season plays out. Uh, does this team overachieve to any extent? And overachieving for this team would probably be going 5-11 and 11 or 6-10 and 10 at this point. Uh, are they truly, you know, a 1-15 team like the Browns were last year, and they rolled the top pick in the draft? and. That kind of led into my my article for today. And do you, what has Mike Mcagnon done through 2.5 years to earn the confidence and the trust to be the guy who gets to make that top three pick and gets to rebuild the roster? He inherited a team with a ton of cap space, with a full collection of draft picks, uh, and no talent anywhere except for a few pieces on the defensive line. Uh, a few pieces maybe at receiver and a few pieces on the offensive line. Two and a half years later, the Jets are in the exact same situation. They have less overall talent. They have less overall cap space. They still have draft picks. They have a talented defensive line, maybe a few pieces in those two other positions I mentioned. We are still in a spot where the two best skill position players on this offense were acquired by Mike Tannenbaum, Bilal Powell, uh, and John Idzik, Quincy Anua, to the previous GMs. The second best offensive lineman, Brian Winters, was acquired by a previous GM, John Idzik. Defensively, two of their three best players, Muhammad Wilkerson, Sheldon Richardson, Leonard Williams, two of the three of them were acquired by Tana, and Idzik. Uh, All McCadden did was add to an already strong position group and then not find a way to move Wilkerson or Richardson. Every single free agent contract he has handed out has flopped outside of James Carpenter, which has been a great signing, but you got one year out of Darrell Rivas, one year out of Antonio Camardi, one year out of Marcus Gilchrist, Buster screen trending down after his second year. Uh, You spent money on Kellen Davis and Jarvis Jenkins. Neither of those moves worked out. Uh, Obviously, we'll see what happens with Beecham and Claiborne. And then you mentioned the picks. Everyone wants to knock the Idzik 12, and the Idzik 12 was awful. You don't got to, you know, it's common sense. It was a terrible draft class, although people like to you know, ignore the impact or the voice that Rex Ryan had in those draft rooms, even though he was on record saying, I wanted Calvin Pryor. I stood on the table for INK and It was my call to draft Taj Boyd and all that other stuff. The draft is a collaborative process. I think I do this too, and fans have a way of doing this and saying that whatever guy that they like better gets credit for the good picks and whatever guy they like least gets credit for the bad picks. So, you know, Eric Mangini gets credit for all the good picks. And Mike Tannenbaum gets credit for all the bad picks. And then John Inzik gets blamed for all the bad picks, but Rex gets credit for all the good picks. Ultimately, it's a collaborative all-around process, usually. Uh, But you look at how McCadden uses draft picks in that first class. Leonard Williams fell into his lap. Good pick, but the value of it has not been maximized by an inability to move Sheldon Richardson and Muhammad Wilkerson. Devin Smith, it breaks my heart to say it, complete bust in the second round at this point. Third round, Lorenzo Malden, question mark. Fourth round, Bryce Petty a second or third string quarterback at best going forward. Fifth round, Jarvis Harrison cut. Seventh round, Deion Simon, still a question mark. Then picks given up to acquire Ryan Fitzpatrick, Brandon Marshall, Devere Posey, and Zach Stacy. Posey and Stacy did nothing for the team. Marshall and Fitzpatrick gave them one year uh, of value. We're terrible in their second years, and now we're both gone. So that's four years of young players like you said you could have had. And then in the next year, he gave up another pick for Ryan Clady uh who's gone already after one season so those are five more players that could have been brought toward the roster the jury is definitely still out in his second draft class his first round pick is deron lee who's done more off the field than on the field his second round pick is christian hackenberg who every fan of this team wants the team to tank for another quarterback because that's how low of a co- confidence level there is in hackenberg at this point point. and then you have a few mid-round picks so you know i i think there are honestly jet fans out there and look you're a fan this is how it works, and it's how, like, tribalism works. You know, Mike, Mike McCagnum could wake up tomorrow and cut Leonard Williams and trade Quincy a new one to the Patriots and then still be people out there trying to find a way to defend it and say it's part of some master plan. Uh, but at some point, you're going to have to ask yourself the question, is this guy a good GM? And is everything not Woody Johnson's fault? And is it not Todd Bowles' fault? I'm not saying that either of them are, are help or have been good at their job. And maybe, you know, you know what, maybe – Justin Burris becomes a top flight starter at corner, and Brandon Shell's a really good right tackle, and Jordan Jenkins and Lorenzo Maldon become a good starting outside linebacker duo, and Calvin Beach ends up being a steal, and Christian Hackenberg becomes a competent quarterback. And then it's a different discussion, but as of now, what you've put on your resume uh, should not inspire as much confidence as it does among Jet fans. No. No, you're 100 right. And I tweeted that the other, uh,
2: the other, I think it was yesterday. Not every move Mike McCagnon makes is a genius move. Like, and and that's exhausting for me to see, just because I I think it's so interesting. Uh, like watching how the media covers New York sports in general. Like you have a guy like Odell Beckham, and it comes out now that he's he's staging. You know, he's not going to OTAs because he wants a new contract. And Beckham has already been, bl- been blasted as a guy that needs to grow up and, and et cetera, et cetera. All because he does play with some fiery emotion. But then you see a guy like Aaron Rodgers get lauded for his competitive spirit, right? And like, oh, my God, he doesn't take losing well, et cetera, et cetera. And it's always just interesting because, like you said, optics matter, right? So McCagnon is this guy that comes from the scouting department and the scouting pedigree and came highly recommended by Ron Wolfe and Charlie Casserly. And that's fine, right? That's cool. But it doesn't mean that he's doing a good job here. It doesn't mean that he is suddenly a very good GM here. Now, I think I, I grade him a little differently than most. I think that there are moves that he's made that I think have been solid, right? Like, I really like the fact that he kept Brian Winters. I like the fact that he signed James Carpenter. I've, for the most part, have liked a lot of his draft picks. I didn't like Deron Lee. I hated the pick, and I hated Christian Hackenberg was, and Bryce Petty. Those are probably the three that I absolutely hate. His his decision-making when it comes to quarterbacks does not instill confidence in me, so even if the team got the number one pick, I have a feeling he'd take Lamar Jackson is, instead of taking Rosen or, Dar- or Donald next year, and it would make me lose my mind. Or he takes Arden Key from LSU and you get an edge rusher finally. But there's nothing that McCagnin has done that I'm like, you know what? He's absolutely going to be the guy that figures it his- this out for the Jets and and with Bowles rebuilds this entire team. Same thing with Bowles there isn't anything that he's done that makes me 100% certain of that. There are glimpses from both of them but in New York in particular, there is always this rush, and maybe it's because of the social media vacuum that we now operate in and we cover the team in, there is this rush to find one guy to blame, right? When you see losses, when the when the Giants lost to the Packers, the one guy to blame was Odell Beckham. When the Falcons lost to the Patriots and blew that lead, the one guy to blame that they kept blaming was Freeman for missing the block on Hightower, even though by then the, the collapse was already happening, right? There's just this rush to blame one guy, and there is no nuance, and that's frustrating because with especially with these guys in the NFL. McCagnan, you're right. McCagnan could go and, and burn Leonard Williams' jersey tomorrow, and I think some Jet fans would write it off as some kind of voodoo that he's trying to do to break the bad juju that we've had since Belichick resigned on a napkin. I think that there are some good things that he's done. There are some bad things that he's done, but right now it's it's super incomplete. And the reason it is incomplete is because of days like yesterday, where you lose all leverage to move Eric Decker for a draft pick. When you could have moved them during the draft and added and and, and again, you didn't even have to move him for a pick in this year's draft. You could have moved you could have moved him for a pick next year like you did with that trade with Dallas, and now you have more picks next year. Cutting David Harris in June, that does him no favors, and he does he doesn't deserve that kind of treatment. Going to Shaw Ferguson and saying, "Hey, we need you know we need you to take a pay cut," and when he doesn't, you force him into retirement. That looks bad. Cutting Nick Mangold, I get why you do it, but it's it's just there's just it looks bad on McCagnin's part, and then it's made even worse by the fact that they tried to the Todd Bowles out there instead of McCagnin first. McCagnin should have been the one to handle that as a grown up. That's what you do, and I just I, it rubs me the wrong way to see them kind of to see the the Jet fan base in general. Put all the blame on Bowles. It's never McCagnan's fault. It's always Woody Johnson's fault. When it just doesn't make much sense to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think there's just always an urgency to, you know, pass the blame of wrong or negative decisions off to Woody Johnson or Bowles because you know that's easy. That's easier to do. And there's never a singular scapegoat. And that's not defending Bowles or saying he did a good job last year or he's doing a good job because. He certainly has his work cut out for him, but I don't, I just don't know why those two aren't lumped together. Uh, there's a perception that McCagnin was not involved in the hiring of Bulls. He was at Bulls' second interview. He was involved in that process. I, I just don't know why if, if the Jets go 2-14 and 14 this year and they fire Bulls, why necessarily McCagnin gets to go out and hire uh, a coach. But again, we'll see how these players develop uh, throughout this year. and it's It's going to be going into the season, it will be the team with probably the lowest expectations that I could recently remember, maybe the two thousand. I mean, the two thousand thirteen team, and I know the two thousand six team, which again was randomly ten and six with Eric Mangini. That team was thirty second in every power ranking before the season, and that I'm not saying the Jets are going to be ten and six this year, but I'm just trying to think of other years where expectations were so low. Uh, you know, two thousand thirteen jumps to top of mind, and again they they did end up going eight and eight that year. Two thousand twelve they were relatively low as well, and they went six and ten, but. Look, I mean, the line for the Jets at Vegas is five, and I don't think it's anything to complain about right now. I think it's a, it's a fair number. That number might drop to four and a half after these moves. And, you know, with how the roster is currently constructed, I don't know why the Jets wouldn't just also move on from Matt Forte and Steve McClendon. Uh, I don't know what value it is keeping those guys around. Play, play Bilal Powell and Elijah McGuire running back. Play Deion Simon and nose tackle. Uh, just finish the job at this point. There's no reason to keep Forte uh and and clendon on the roster and it's just going to be a young team and you know offensively it's can hackenberg find a way to beat out josh mccown right now it doesn't sound like he's anywhere near close to it i don't want to read too much into otas we know how we feel about that but it seems like mccown is going to be the starter unless he gets hurt which is going to happen at some point but you know I, i just find it It's just hard to believe that there's that much of this overall uh, coherent plan here. And again, maybe things break right. Maybe they get a few pleasant surprises out of rookies this year who overachieve or second-year guys who take the next step. But expectations are going to be rightly low. And it's always risky when you're planning ahead and saying, we're definitely going to get the first overall pick next year because there's going to be other bad teams. And you're going to stumble into a win or two. It happens. Even the Browns, who did the absolute best to tank last year, won a game, really should have beat the Jets if it wasn't for Quincy Inouye turning into Superman in the second half. And if their field goal kicker didn't miss a 28-yard kick, they go 3-13 and 13 and they're picking fourth and not first. So there's a thin line in some of these games, uh, particularly late in the year, where the Jets could stumble into a few wins. And maybe they're picking fourth instead of first. And that pick is not necessarily so easy. And you know, do you trust the scouting department in front office to make that pick? And who that top guy is could change a lot. Uh, everyone says it's Darnold now, but could it end up being Rosen? Could it end up being Jackson? Could it end up being one of the other quarterbacks? Or could McCagnan do a situation this year where this would be the you know the nuclear option where he does really play like McCown and Petty all year and then passes on taking a quarterback next year and takes like Saquon <laughs> Barkley or somebody else? I would love to see the reaction at that point. Uh, I mean, what do you think comes next for this team, Dolvin?
2: Um, I, you know what, Joe, I think, I think that they, and I've kind of been saying this all, all off season. And this was obviously with my assumption. I Decker, I thought Decker would have been cut or traded a long time ago. So I, for me, the timing b- bothers me with that, just to kind of say that out there. Um, But I thought that this team had the chance to be better than a lot of people are expecting. I know you said that the over under is five and I mean, I'll probably put some money. On the over, and you know, hope I get lucky. But I think that somebody tweeted this earlier, and and I don't remember who it was. It might have been Daniel Jeremiah. It said that the Jets are the worst team of the last decade, and hy- that kind of hyperbole to me is so crazy because I've seen a team go zero and sixteen, um, and I've seen multiple teams go one and fifteen. So no, I don't think this team is that bad. Um, I think that. You're gonna have some games, and I've kind of said this repeatedly, you're gonna have some games that they should lose that they win, and vice versa. This is a team that I think you have guys on defense that aren't that again are going to the defense in particular, I think, is gonna show up. I don't I don't think that you have to worry about the defense not showing up. I think the biggest concern is can the offense score enough points, but in the immediate, it's getting past the shock of the two leaders on this team and David Harrison, Eric Decker, and this is again after an offseason that saw a lot of upheaval, right? So now it's getting past the initial shock and going in tomorrow and finishing out this week of OTAs and then getting ready for training camp in a few weeks, right? That's the biggest key. Can you do that? Can this team show that kind of resilience now early on? Because it does feel, again, for me, it, it just feels like it feels like this is the, the calm before the storm where Woody Johnson just decides, you know what? everybody can go and then they're then then he's handing this job to then he's trying to write a blank check to harbaugh with the first pick and full roster control and 80 million in cap space you know and it, it just woody johnson and we live in such a climate where there's so many unpredictable people woody johnson is one of the most unpredictable people that i've ever met like he just screams unpredictability so even right now as i think like yeah no McCacken and the Bulls will be fine i wonder if say they take the season and they and top pick in the draft, 80 million in cap space. If he just writes a blank check to Jim Harbaugh and says, here, take over my team. Um, But I think the Jets as a team have to get past the initial shock. They have to be better at just kind of uh, insulating themselves from the outside noise because there will be a lot. There's a lot calling them the worst team in the league. There's a lot calling them that they're going to run for they're going to be in the running for the top pick and just play ball. And once that happens, I think they'll be fine. But you do, I do think that there is this cloud hovering over it where what impulsive act is Woody Johnson going to do in order for this to, like, if this really does go the way that a lot of people think it will.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good summary of where we're at right now. Uh, we're going to go into a bit of a more quiet period. I mean, there, there will still be some mini camp and there will be some practices uh, throughout June before uh, training camp kicks off. I think it kicks off July 27th at this point. And it's going to be a young, young Jets team. Again, I would not be surprised if they did move on from McClendon or Forte, if not both of them, meaning this entire team will basically be under 20 years old outside of 417-year-old Josh McCown, who has no business being on the roster. And Tanner Purdom was a long snapper, so it's not really a position. Uh, It doesn't count, unfortunately. Sorry, Tanner. And it's just a young team. And I think they got to... You got to market and you got to hope and build around guys like Anua and Robbie Anderson and Blau Powell and Stewart and Hanson, uh, Jordan Leggett, Austin Zafarian Jenkins, and defensively it's Adams and May and hoping Lee takes the next step and Leonard Williams. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what the crowd is like at MetLife Stadium in week three. Remember, the Jets start off with two road games. So they start off in Buffalo and in Oakland. They'll be heavy, heavy. They're already seven-point underdogs to Buffalo. I can't imagine what the line is going to be in Oakland. I'm curious to see, you know, week three, if the Jets are 0-2 and 24,000 people show up for the home opener, if that – how patient does Woody Johnson actually uh, be? So I guess we're going to see that play out. Make sure to uh, check out Dolbin's latest article on turning the Jets on the Darren Lee-Leonard Williams incident, which uh, we didn't even really get to tonight, but I think a did a <laughs> – great job sort of breaking it down and you know my main takeaway again I mentioned sort of the fandom and tribalism the people were saying it's not a big deal whatever it's not a big deal I, I doubt they'd be saying the same thing if Hunter Williams carried Odell Beckham Jr. out of that situation I think people's reaction to the situation changed which they found out it was Darren Lee which it shouldn't but Dio did a nice job breaking it down and then I also had a long read today on the optics of rebuilding and why McKagan gets more of a pass than previous GMs Uh, and patience uh, to rebuild. So follow Dalbin on Twitter at DA underscore Sario. Follow me on Twitter at Jay caparoso. Make sure to check out Play Like a Jet this week. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave those reviews. Dio, any final words? Uh, Yeah, Jet fans who
2: have been saying for years, please let us rebuild. Please let us rebuild. Please just tear it all down. You have no right to complain right now because this is what you wanted, right? And that's that's kind of my I guess my overarching point for the next couple months. You couldn't have asked for them to rebuild and then suddenly now you're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this is happening." If this is what you wanted, this is what you're going to get. I think that the team has a long way to go, but just I mean, pray that Hacken, pray that that Hackenberg to Stewart bomb week 1 in Buffalo, you know, it lands exactly where it needs to and not in like row 11 where I'm sitting. So, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where the team goes from here.
0: want to remind remind you guys before we sign off that this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official team sponsor and partner of the New York Jets. Make sure to check out primesport.com backslash turn on the jets for all their 2017 packages. Give them a follow on Twitter at Prime Sport and on Facebook at Prime Sport. Again, that's primesport.com backslash turn on the jets for 2017 home and away game packages. We will be back next week. Thank you, everybody, for listening.